Hello, everyone, and we're back with another episode of Feeding Curiosity. And today, I'm going to let Joe actually take it off because this is his brainchild. Dude, it's annihilation. So we saw spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, let's do let's do introduction to it. Yes, let's talk non-spoilers. Rating Basic non-spoilers. thoughts on it. We could give it a rating, and then we can move on to a spoiler cast. Because then people that you know still want to listen along. Yeah, you can get. We'll be explicit about when we go spoiler. Yes, um, I like that. So when did we see it? Yesterday, two days ago, Monday. So yeah, two days ago. So we went and saw annihilation. Which, if you don't know, that's. Alex Garland's new film, and Alex Garland gained some popularity in part for being a screenwriter for 28 Days Later, but also for his directorial debut, which was Ex Machina, and actually won a Oscar for Best Special Effects. Yes, in the movie, so. for the robotics stuff in there. Yeah, which looked fantastic. The whole movie was beautiful. I would highly recommend watching that movie. At the very least, since it's already out in DVD and everything like that, because it was amazing. Yeah, really good movie. This is, which is based on a book by, do you remember the author's name? I don't know. But based on a book, and it's that same kind of vein which that he's used to, which is something like sci-fi thriller. I'm calling uh, it like a psych thriller almost. It's unnerving. It's just a little off. Yeah, it, the entire movie has an edge to it. Yeah, there's a little trouble in paradise feel. And it's almost dreamlike, too, where it feels very... It has that surreal feeling throughout most of it, which is partly how they do a lot of the sound design and... The camera work. Yes. The notice about the camera work, too, in, in itself was very close around people's faces. So it made... They kind of felt claustrophobic for, like, when they were having conversations. Yeah. Trying to remember if that's the way that it was in Ex Machina, but I'm not. It's really good camo work, is what it comes down to. It like real, especially in this movie. In Ex Machina was beautiful too, but yes. this was also very like slow camera movements, mm-hmm. deliberate. Almost reminds me of David Fincher, but it feels less methodical and more surreal. Yes. Definitely. It felt less planned out because of this, the structure of the story, because it... It doesn't feel chaotic. It's not... I don't think in any of the action scenes, it ever got to a point where it was like... I don't think there was any handheld camera in that movie. No, I don't think... There was no camera shaking, really. Yeah. Which I like. It feels clean. Yeah. So just to go backtrack real quick so we get all our facts straight, the... Book series. So this is actually a three-part book series. Annihilation is the first part of the book. It was it's the novel by Jeff Vandermeer, and it was written in 2014, or at least released. So there was that. I so for full disclosure, I actually listened to the audiobook version of the book prior to seeing this movie, and I gotta say, the movie version of this does it amazing justice because the story itself is written in such a sense that you it feels dreamlike like you were saying and and it's very in-depth with the visuals because of just how the story kind of unfolds there's a lot of details that it's hard to convey the visuals in words i would say like do you understand what it's super super symbolic yes one thing you need to know without going to spoilers yet everything is very deliberate which goes in hand in hand with the camera work, but all the imagery is 
with purpose. It's yeah, all it's kind of like display something specific. Yeah, so like everything they show you, they give you just enough to kind of tease out little details to put another piece in front of you, like a breadcrumb trail almost. Yeah, it hints to it. It hints to things about the nature of what they're dealing with, just through the imagery, which we should mention. A basic plot summary. Yes. Is that what's her first name? Oh, I don't remember the characters' names. This is where I'm always bad with <laughs> names, and it doesn't change when I talk about movies. She goes. She's a former. Uh, she's a biologist. Bio, she's a biologist who used to be in the military. Is a researcher at Johns Hopkins that studies cancer. She's a doctor, so she's looking at cancer, and her husband has been missing, assumed dead for a year. She tried to find out information about him, and he was special operations and some covert stuff, so she assumed he was dead and just couldn't get any info. Then he shows up early. This is no spoiler. This is, like... Within the first 15 minutes of the... Yeah, it doesn't take long. So he shows up, and then she gets dragged into the relation that he was on. And Lena then discovers, the is presented with this thing called the shimmer, is what they're just calling it, because that's what it looks like. It looks like it's shimmering. Yes. And it's this force field that's expanding outward and every team that's gone into it has disappeared over the last like three years so she volunteers to go in with a group of people and then they experience a bunch of crazy shit <laughs> yeah and basically the entire story revolves around what happens inside of this and in overarching terms this area is called area x and i guess it would say in general it defies the natural rules of what we understand Biology, I guess, is a good way of just capstoning it. I don't want to say too much. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to try to avoid spoilers. Which is Let's just say thematic. it's messing shit up a little bit. Things yeah. are getting confusing. Things are weirder. And for someone trained in biology like the main character, she's at odds, basically. Yeah. And not really sure how to explain it, especially as a cancer researcher. So I might, that might have gave away a little bit too much. <laughs> Yeah, so she goes in this thing and experiences stuff. So basically, just to sum up a little bit of what I think about it is that one, Alex Garland is definitely now on my list. Him and Christopher Nolan are like the only two directors on my list who I will watch their movie regardless of anything. When yeah. they come out with a movie, I'm going to watch it. And part of the reason that I'm going to watch Alex Garland stuff is one, I really like science fiction. <laughs> I love the thriller, unnerving, undertone. I love thrillers. The, yeah, it's the psychological... Like, when you put a story in front of you, and you're given bits and pieces of it, and you're trying to put it together before the story concludes to see if you understand it, but also at the same time, it, it concludes, and it leaves more questions than answers... Yeah. It may allow you to go even deeper into a story. It's very much at odds of what the mainstream, I would say, cinematic or even storytelling is right now. Where it's definitely different than what's going on in science fiction. It's, it's a lot of stuff I, is part of what I like about this is it's not overt. And yes. he, he wasn't overt in, in Ex Machina either. Like he was and he it, would it just open ended too for Ex Machina even. Yeah, like he didn't there was no oh, that's why the character is doing what they're doing. It's all very, you, you have to pay attention. And it's, in some sense, I think it's more real because people don't just put on display 
what they really think in, yeah. in part because a lot of the times people don't actually know what they think. They're just operating. So that actually brings us to another point of the characters too, like how they chose to portray the characters of a story didn't feel like caricatures of some sort of ideal. Because if you think about a lot of sci-fi, like if you, for an easy hello hanging fruit example, Star Wars, a lot of characters have an archetypal, like that sci fantasy role. They're not, there's not a lot of gray. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I don't know if I agree. I feel like the characters just felt more like grounded in this story where they you can feel like the history of some of the characters. I actually think that my biggest complaint about the movie is that the characters aren't really developed. Yeah, besides the main character. Definitely. Yeah, that's the only character that actually matters. Yeah. So I don't think I would say that these are like any real deep representation of much at all. That all that really happens is a journey within or for the main character and that everybody else is whatever secondary to that. Yeah, I can see it. And Star Wars is not so much. And maybe it's in part because Star Wars can develop characters over three versus this is not that Star Wars is ever really even the original ones were never really that deep. No, they didn't really have deep character development in general. It It was stuff that was added later on that made but it was also really fundamentally it's a different genre yeah realistically because it's a thriller versus a yeah i mean it's, traditional sci-fi no it's more like it's an action movie yeah like action adventure for fun yeah versus like art house horror thriller surrealist work yeah and that you yeah, just okay. get different things from so like just con- sticking with the star wars theme is star wars is a journey it in itself versus this is a different kind of journey completely yeah yeah i guess it's they're just fundamentally different Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they're trying to accomplish completely different things yeah like you can't it's hard to star wars is fun yeah i'm trying to think of some sort of example that's similar to this kind of movie but there's really not many yeah, I don't know much that touches on something like this. <laughs> that's one. That's a plus. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like now that we're thinking, this ends like... up being <laughs> a very unique visual, especially visual. Oh, 100% experience. And it didn't feel like the effects used were too over dramatic, except toward the end, which we'll get into later when we enter. Yeah, the but even that isn't. It's not too on the nose. No, it was still weird though. It's fucking weird. Yeah, but, <laughs> like it wouldn't, it's not. So I, it's not obnoxious. I wouldn't call it obnoxious, but it was just more of like. We this will make sense. Later. It's certainly not jar- draw jarring. Excuse yeah, me. it's not like seeing Leia's CG face at the end of Rogue One. Rogue One. Yes. Where you're like that's CG, like clearly, but. It's not so jarring as that. It's just a part of the whole thing. And maybe it's because the whole movie experience is so bizarre that you just don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so really, that's what you're going to complain about? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Is there anything else we can talk about generally? Visuals are great. I'll try to give a sum up of my opinion. Yeah. Visuals are great. Plot's interesting, but characters are underdeveloped, and that's the big thing. I highly recommend it. But yes. with the caveat that really the only way you can understand the plot is if you look at it from a psychoanalytic perspective. Yes, which will go will go even deeper into shortly. Yeah, I can't really talk about it 
without spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, so, without spoiling like, the whole thing. And that's why we actually want to do this podcast, because I think this it shows, I think, too, for this is like a movie fans movie almost. Where it's not just a cheap. It's definitely a movie fan movie, but it's also a creative thinker movie. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So if you have a friend who's like, whoa, man. If you got like this kind of stereotypical like engineering type that doesn't really, that just thinks inside the box and that's it. Yeah. If you're probably not going to fucking like If you're hyper analytical, you're not going to really find it. So I would say that this complexity of the plot and it being hard to understand is actually something that enriches it. Mm-hmm. because of the themes that they're doing and how complicated they are. But I understand why someone would find, find a way to just <laughs> would be like, this is a terrible movie. Cause it could be too much for somebody. Yeah. A bunch of like Rotten Tomato stuff after we saw the yeah. movie and it was one or the other. You either loved it or hated it. I feel like that's a good thing though. If you can't divide the middle, then there's really not, it's it didn't warm. land lukewarm with anybody. Right, yeah. Think. If you love it or hate it, that's better than being like, eh, it was all right. That's like choosing seven out of ten. Yeah, it has yeah. a six or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Still pretty right good. Now. Yeah, Metacritic gives it an 81 right now, which is pretty good for... So it's a good movie. I like it. A lot of people like it. Mm-hmm. So if you like the visuals, if you are interested in that kind of creative surrealism, if you liked Ex Machina, it's probably if you liked the Ex best. Machina, <laughs> then I'd say go see it. If I had to give it a rating, I'd give it like, like a 3.8 out of 5, maybe a 4, but... That seems reasonable. You know what I mean? It's not that... I really enjoy the movie, it's just maybe it's a little too confusing at points. There are points. Yeah, it does feel a little disjointed at times. Where it's, it's a like, little too ambiguous, and the characters are a little too underdeveloped. Yeah, because they show up, and it makes it a little bit yeah. rough. But other than that, and the sound design is fucking phenomenal. Oh, it's amazing. Combining that with the visual cues and things like that, yeah, it's amazing. If you like, God forbid, I was thinking about this while it was happening. I was like, if somebody watched this inebriated. <laughs> Like, not sober. They're going to have a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> there are points that it's straight out of a horror show. And it's, whoa. Yes, it is. So, I think with that. What's your rating? My rating? I would say probably about a four for me or so. Yeah. Comparing it to the book, since I went in with prior knowledge, I think the this story was fleshed out better than certain parts of the book. Because in the book, there was, like, some sort of mention of this creature, and they called it the slime and things, and it was... Really ambiguous, and you really didn't the know. The slime. Yeah, I forget exactly. It's like, what. so does it just look like slime? Yeah, or? it was weird. So we can compare that to the thing later on, but yeah. So comparing it to the book, and since it is somewhat surreal, like we continue to say, you get a better sense of what the story is trying to convey, seeing it in front of you, rather than trying to interpret it with words when you're already given vague details as it is yeah so yeah i would just still say a four because it, it it's definitely not one of those oh the book is so much better type movies yeah this is probably the point where if you don't want to hear spoilers turn away now yeah go watch the movie because it's worth it and then pick back up and then come back <laughs> <laughs> put this on pause on your phone go tell your friends that we need to go see the movie right now Go watch it. <laughs> Listen to this while you're on the treadmill at the gym or whatever. 
<laughs> going to work. Have a nice drive. Pay attention, but you know. Or if you don't care, continue on, and maybe you'll be even more inclined to see the movie after we talk about. I might go see the, it psycho, again, to be the psycho thriller that this movie is. I'm trying to think where to start because it is a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it's one giant analogy for how to properly deal with. I think it's death is what they're really getting at. Though it might be like symbolic death more than just yeah. literal death. It's more of like symbolic death in the part of like internal parts of you. Yeah, it's like what, how to let things die in your past. And like her guilt for cheating on her husband, I think is, and maybe letting go of their relationship in a sense might be. I think that might be part of it. it. That's This is where I think the ambiguity was too much, was that it should have been a little more clear because I think that it's her letting go of their relationship. Yeah, so that's one of the things that... So in the book, you get a little bit more details on the, what was happening in their normal lives mm -hmm. versus in... So in the story... Was their marriage failing in the book? Yeah. That's what I was thinking after watching the movie that I'm like... I think that's what they're going like they for. Were, like they were drifting apart. In, so in the book, you get more about they were drifting and she was more of a loner type and was like the hyper analytical and more into her biology stuff than into other people. And yeah. in the, one of the scenes, you see them reading books together, but apart, like they're spending time together, but not really. Parallel play is what it's called. Is that really? In psych for kids. It's where they're playing either the same, they're doing the similar things or even different things, but they're with each other, but they don't really interact at all. Huh. Is that a negative, positive? No. no. It's just a thing? It's neither. It just is. It's just a thing? Just a just thing. Just curious. <laughs> just a type of play. Yeah, that was one of the things that you get a better sense of it from the book, especially. And you don't even like really know that this is going on until about probably midway through the movie, through these like disjointed dream sequences, which, as Joe was saying, is probably what they were trying to show is guilt. Yeah, and it's and I think that might be why it ends the way that it does with her changed and him changed and then them hugging it out. Yeah, with the first like real emotion that they've shared. like they don't like kiss romantically and right. like happy days. They like just hug. I think that's her coming to peace with him and like them being done. Like they've made their peace. Yeah, they've reconciled their like she's confronted the truth of that relationship mm -hmm. and in her like her i think that it's almost like she knew that she wanted it to end and she needed to f confront that and that's like that part of herself is what she needed to address yeah it fits it does fit. like for those to clarify for those that don't know so she goes she does something that's very like union archetypal which is like the whole ending scene is that it's really arrives at the lighthouse and there's a big dark hole that she has to go down into to face a thing that becomes herself. And then she faces herself and then lets it die. Yes. And burns it away. It's the Deadwood analogy of like. It's very much if they find the darkest part of yourself, confront it and kill it or let it go or yeah and i think that what's happening inside the shimmer is 
a reflection of the the psyche of the individuals that enter it. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, too, to talk about the other people. As we mentioned, there's four other people with them, and they all have their own personalities slash grievances um, with the world. There are reasons for going in there, and it's all reasons to do with dying or an acceptance of dying or or willingness to confront dying because all of them have, in a sense, nothing to quite live for because they know that this is a suicide mission, so they sign up for it anyway. Yeah. So it's like everybody there has some baggage that they're holding on to. Like one girl is borderline suicidal, cuts herself. Though it's mentioned that she does it to feel more alive. Oh, really? They said that? Yeah. So I almost Hmm. wonder if she isn't – she's challenging herself. She's trying to find something that she – I don't really – hers is tough. They're all fucking – this is another this they're hard to pick apart what exactly because there's not much to pick apart yeah that's (laughs) part of if they were more developed characters i think this would be easier but yeah and then other character is a psychologist who had cancer yeah one the psychologist had cancer who was terminally ill was gonna die lena was going in because her husband got out and she said that she owed him and she wanted to figure this out, Yeah, basically. The girl that cuts herself and was probably there in part to feel more alive, but was, like, suicidal almost. So I almost wonder if she, her death, disappearance, whatever, is a resigning to, just resigning. Just I think done. she, yeah, she just succumbed, just yeah. gave in. Just, yep, gave in, was done. She's like, cool, I'm okay with this now. Just done. Which we can explain more later. The one girl is distraught and goes crazy she's a little crazy anyway what did we say we talked about this after the right after the movie we said it was questioning it was like it was like questioning what was real and not being not believing yourself like the spiraling that's how she dies right that's how she that's why that's what led me to think that it's a reflection of the psyche but let me put that off to the side for a second so that we can get through the characters because there's one left which is the woman who she had a daughter die. Yes, there it was. And she seems to be there because she just doesn't give a shit anymore. She doesn't have anything else to hold on to. Yeah, she's just kind of done. Kind of similar to the psychologist with the cancer. Yeah. The psychologist is inevitably going to die, and this woman could continue going on living, but right. doesn't see a point in some sense, which is... Kind of the nihilistic worldview. Yeah, I wonder why it is that she's... Well, I think the reason she might be the first to die is because she's the most ready to. That's an interesting concept. Because she's done. She kinda, right, yeah. She's the most given up out of all of them. <laughs> she's you like, nothing to, when you have nothing to fight for, what you don't you don't need to, you don't have the reason to fight back. Yeah, she lost her kid. And that kind of starts, so once the first person dies, that kind of starts the unraveling of the group. Yeah. When they first, yeah, they first see the... Oh, so you should probably explain the video. Find the pretty, body. With, yeah. We find a video where... They cut open a dude, and in his insides, they're moving around like a fucking... Like, There's like eels or something. Eel, yeah, some nasty eel shit. And then they find his body, which is basically turned into... Been ripped apart by a fungus, in a sense. Yeah. It looks like it just exploded from growth. You get the skin and stuff. Like, from a visual standpoint, this thing is nightmarish. It's crazy. <laughs> it's 
crazy. And that kind of spirals the group and kind of unhinges most people once they see it. Yeah, they get a little confused. Because, because mm. the two, the, the thing is that body time is different in this place. And so they don't have any rem, like, judging by the video and just assuming how the husband is, because that was the husband's group, it's somewhere between, a, you know, anywhere from six months to a year since that body has been there, but yet it looks like it's been there. They <laughs> said that they were gone. Her husband was gone for a year. Yeah. So they could have been there that long. Who knows how long that dude was dead. Right, yeah. But And they were there for four months, but it felt like days. So time's all fucked up in there, so it's confusing. But I think that the girl... So they're confused about whether or not you go crazy and you kill each other or... Oh, yeah, there was two rumors. That was what it was. It was either they go crazy and kill each other or something in there kills them. Kind of ends up being both. <laughs> in fact, I'd say that going crazy is what gets them killed by something. Mm-hmm. So the girl that's... Uh, I forget her deal. She basically decides that everybody else is lying to her and she can't trust anyone. Yeah. And she starts spiraling out of control, wondering how you can trust anyone, how you can do anything. Wow, wow, who's lying? What's this? What's that? And then she hears the voice of the woman that already died screaming for help. So she runs out after having tied up the three remaining characters she runs out to get her and then immediately gets attacked by a decayed bear fucking creature that mimics the voice of the thing that it killed. Yeah, every time it yells, it sounds like a scream of pain from the character that and it really like, screams, help me and shit. It's freaking terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty fucking creepy. But that was the first touch with the idea that it's a psychological reflection on the characters, how they die. Because she goes unhinged and starts overreacting to the situation. And she's it's not an accident that the thing that killed her is a thing that only attacks when you react to it. Yes. So it's almost like her own panic, her own anxiety, her own whatever is what kills her. It's like a self-destruct almost. Yeah. So it's like it can't cope with the situation and then falls apart and that's what kills her. Yeah. And just like the tension of that scene too, because after she gets killed by the zombie bear, (laughs) this thing is inside of a room that's probably, I don't even know, eight by eight. And three people are tied to a chair. And this fucking screaming bear beast is, is inside in front of your face. And the only thing you can do to survive right now is to keep your shit together. Yeah. It was one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a movie in a very long time. Yeah, it's a pretty fucking good scene. It's freaky. It's like just freaky enough. It's like, oh. They pushed it to the very edge of, of what they could have done with that scene. That's what I see. That I thought was a real like horror movie moment. Oh, for sure. It's not the same thing as so many horror movies. All they fucking do is make something as grotesque as they can. And then they just have it do grotesque things, and that's supposed to scare you. It's not scary. It's just grody. So that's nasty. Like, why are you showing me dude's intestines flying everywhere and stuff? That's not terrifying. That's just gross. 
But this was like the tension was high. It's creepy. It's, it's unnerving. Strange. It's not overt and gory. It's nothing like that. No. It's just weird. It's just uncomfortable. It was definitely one of the strangest scenes. I want to say visceral too. Because it goes from like this intense action scene. It starts out with the screams and then she's like, that glimmer of hope and then silence. Yeah, and you hear the like roar. Yeah. It happens too. <laughs> and then it walks in and you're like, oh shit. But like, it's what kind of, oh my God, everything's falling apart. And then it kind of like culminates to this moment and then all of a sudden it's quiet. And they're like helpless to it. So I almost wonder if a representation of terror. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like they can't, you can't run away from it. Like being trapped within your own mind. If we're going with that psychological lens. And the, and it's just not letting it draw reaction out from you. Yeah. Because if you entertain those negative thoughts or emotions, you, it's like feeding the fire. Yeah. And then you, and you get wrapped into it. And then that's what ultimately destroys you yeah it's a spiral yeah oh god this is really freaking me out oh my god self-sabotage now i'm terrified and now i've reacted and that reaction now amplifies my terror which then gives me to react that amplifies my terror then i react and i amplify the terror it just that's what panic is like i've watched people panic before or like over or freak out there's a really fucking good example you can find online of there's a video of a bunch of High school kids, they were doing a, like, police class for mm-hmm. the, in their high school. And they had the option, so they could volunteer to do this, get pepper sprayed. Really? Yes. It Which is like really a- rare for a high school. Wouldn't I recommend? No. Another <laughs> one. So they all line up. There's probably, like, a good, like, 20 of them or something that did it. A solid amount. And they start going down and they pepper spray everybody in the line. And everyone's fine at first. That's what needs to be noted. Everyone's, and people are grimacing like it's painful and you yeah, can like, tell. Uh, but then one chick freaks out. Mm. She starts screaming and pounding her feet. And the second she does that, you can watch the panic reverberate out from her. So the people closest to her start freaking out and then just moves down the line. Whoa. It's like a panic is contagious. That's exactly what it is. I watched <laughs> it happen in the Marine Corps. And when we get gassed, it's everybody's just like bearing with it. And then one fucker freaks out. And it's like everyone gets permission to freak out. It's the exact thing. So it's that's why stoic, like stoic philosophy pushed in the Marine Corps for how you should behave. Like holding your bearing is a huge well, fucking cause, issue. Because you, you know that when you react to negative emotion... And this is not to say being stoic is you're always there, stone-faced or whatever, not feeling anything. It's different. It's feeling the emotion and recognizing it for what it is and then letting it go. And not giving its time. Because it's one of those things that's really misconstrued as stoic is where... Yeah, it's like this unflinching, unreacting... Yeah. Yeah. I have a book right there. It's, it's almost really like example of- that's what it is. That's what that scene is. is panic incarnate like terror itself and that one girl just can't handle it and in the face of death symbolic or otherwise she panics and that's what speeds up her dying yeah that's what does her in so i think that same thought about that the characters die in the way that's most appropriate for them definitely is 
exactly it. So then moving on from that scene, we have so before this, you'd see we saw these really interesting like leaf shadows people. Is a good way. They're plants that have taken on the shape of people. Yes. And they they have flowers. They look really pretty or whatever, but they're shaped like people walking and holding hands. And they're and like shit. children and adult size. Like it's really surreal. Yeah, it's <laughs> strange. And so after the scene of the the bear attack and they they survived that somehow, one of the people is like, "You." She was talking to Lena and she goes, "You want to face this thing?" And the psychologist, her name was Doctor Ventress. She wants to just get to the end. But, yeah. But I don't think that's the only way. You're like, what about we just... I think she said, I don't want either of those options, I think is what she said. And she walks off and you see... So the, the cool symbolism here, at least from the character's perspective, is you see she has her jacket off for the first time. So for the entire movie, she had long sleeves on. And someone had mentioned previous to this that on her arms, there's scars all the way up and, up and down it from how she cuts herself. And this goes to the, to what the shimmer is doing to each and every one of them is that each and one of her scars is now sprouting little leaves. And so she starts walking away to a clearing and you miss her. And all of a sudden she's gone and she's just become, at least it's implied one of these leaf flower statues. And just one more member of the rest of them. And I thought that initially I thought that's her finally coming to terms with dying in a sense and like resigning to do it. Like she was suicidal and she just wanted to be done with it. So like when she got to that point, she just was done. Yeah. And I've... faded away into the world. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm not sure if that's correct is because they mentioned earlier that she f cut herself, not to kill herself, but to try to feel more alive. So maybe it's still that dynamic. Maybe she is still resigning to death, but it's like she's done fighting for a reason to go on. Or finding or she's done even looking for a reason to try. Yeah, to I think, I think she's done cha like chasing that cheap thrill of just as this like a sight, like a thought experiment of like, how many times do you have to cut yourself to be... That's She's a, just done. That's, that's a small... That you only get that boost for how many seconds? You know what I mean? To feel alive? Yeah. And she just... It was like she just was no longer interested... In chasing in, a hopeless in looking for a reason <laughs> to feel alive, cutting herself, mm -hmm. or going into the shimmer, which was a risk in itself. It was probably the ultimate thrill to feel alive. Makes that more pain. And then was just like, I'm done. I'm done. And then... Turns just and honestly probably took the painless route compared to the the most painless route literally yeah compared to the rest of them <laughs> that's what I mean like, <laughs> I mean one girl got fucking eaten yeah <laughs> two girls got eaten yeah and I think that's a pretty good actually that's something interesting too is neither girl I'm actually wrong neither girl got eaten both girls had their throat ripped out so this beast that kills them doesn't actually consume them it just it rips them apart. It's. I don't know if that's symbolically relevant or not, but it's interesting that it didn't do anything for it. Yeah, it wasn't getting anything from it. It wasn't right. doing it for sustenance. No, it was like it's like almost like a response mechanism. 
I wonder if it, I'll put that to the side because we're going to hit the same topic. when we. Yeah, I know. The same thing. <laughs> we're going to hit the same idea when we get to the end. So after that happens, it moves on. It picks up speed. Yeah, because. Sure. Yeah. The one girl. So the psychologist. Ventress. Goes to the lighthouse on her own. And she's there. Who knows how long, much further ahead she is then. There's really not... No sense of time at this point. <laughs> yeah. Days, weeks, who knows. And Lena falls behind her and finds the, finds the lighthouse, finds crystallized trees all around it. Yeah, so we, what we notice here, too, is that as you get closer to this epicenter, which is... The lighthouse in the beginning of the story, like a meteor hit this lighthouse, and that's where all of this is emanating from. And as you get closer, the changes are less natural, like more fragmented, more crystalline, and accentuated. I guess they use a metaphor of refractory, yeah. They use refractory, but not in the sense of just light, like most of us are used to thinking of it. But a refractory in the sense of everything, like DNA and like from a biological standpoint and just... Yeah, that's the mechanism by which they explain the strange going on. Yeah. Going on. They they call it a refraction of like DNA and stuff and... Like literally everything. Yeah. Like everything's intermingling. I think that the fact that the trees are crystalline is a reflection of their refraction. That same theme being put literally, that you have prisms all constructing these trees at right, the center yeah. of this thing. Because those aren't even, they're not even based off of organic material at that point. They're just there. Yeah. They're literally, and what does a prism do? Refracts light. So <laughs> think of the Pink Floyd album cover. Right. It's that, <laughs> the trees. Yeah. It's trippy, man. Bro. <laughs> and the whole fucking movie is. I know. <laughs> it really is. But then once she gets inside the lighthouse, you see a video camera. And this video camera is pointed at a skeleton that is now blackened by some sort of fire. It looks like it spontaneously combusted. Yeah, that's a good description of it. And you're like, what the heck happened here? Because it doesn't look like something good happened. <laughs> nope. And so you, she plays this video. And what it winds up being is that her husband is there. And he's talking to the camera. And you're like... Okay, so he just committed suicide. Well, say what he does. And, well, doesn't he say something well, about burning away? He, yeah, so he is the skeleton that's combusted. Right. He took a phosphorus grenade and says that he's not himself anymore, that his mind is fractured, he's all falling apart. Yeah, and he wasn't strong. Did he say something about not being strong enough? I don't remember. I can't remember exactly his words at this point. But then he pulls the, the pen... And lights himself on fire in the pose of, this is some nice visual imagery, another point of the symbolism, or at least a homage to the uh, Tibetan monk that looked Yeah, he was sitting cross-legged, sitting in against the wall. Yeah, he was also, look, do you see what he's doing with his hands? Were they like in his lap, right? They were in his lap and they were held like with one cupping the grenade and one on the side of the grenade. So he looked like he was doing the Buddha symbol. Oh, really? So he looked like he was doing like the one finger down. Kind of like letting go. He's doing the meditation like prayer thing that Buddha does. So Buddha, I forget what he does. It's like one hand across the belly and one hand up. Yeah. So he's doing that 
But the idea is that it's implied that the grenade was in his hand, but it looks like he was meditating. Plus, too, if you look at it from, like, that, the, the silhouette of the burn mark around him is, like, that holy aura around yeah, like the, the halo. But then the, the, the surreal part here is that off of camera, after the body is starting to finish its burn, another, like, version of him steps into view. With slick back hair. Cleaned up. Yeah, no, like, he, his hair isn't unkept. His beard is not there anymore. And he looks in the camera, and then she closes it. And you're like, what the heck? I almost wonder if him appearing isn't... And the fact that he was in that monk position, that it's a symbolic transcendence of death, but in a different way than she does. Yeah. Even if it's symbolic death. It's that in accepting... It's, it's that, the type of death that they needed to happen. Like, <laughs> he was so broken up that he needed to just let that all die off. Mm -hmm. He needed to die off, literally in the movie, but symbolic, really, so that the new version of him can appear. So the new him can live. And it's like the new him, so in the beginning of the story, you see that same version of him, but he's like learning everything again. Yeah. Because I think he asked her a question of, who am I? Yeah, like, and he, he said like that, that he only recognizes her face, and all. he's very... He doesn't remember much of anything. So I think that his death is the symbolic transcendence of the pain. So maybe it is a story about their coming to terms with the end of their relationship, not just her coming to terms. Because he dies, but... He dies and is reborn again in the same, in a similar, well, not the, not the exact mechanism. And it's, yeah, like you said, they, it's like the, they had to find the shadow or the thing that was right. driving them apart to be able to, to address the shadow. And maybe it's that his shadow, that his part that he needed to address and incorporate was his inability to function. He said he's fractured. He's in multiple places. He's literally in multiple places in the story. Yes. Yeah. He's at home sometimes or he's deployed sometimes. And he's, and so he's he not lives. committed to one state. He lives two different lives. Yeah. And then when he left for this trip, he didn't tell her either. Yeah, he, tell her where he got deployed go. and he got deployed one day early when they had a plan to spend a day together and stuff. And he's like, nope, gotta go. Yep. See you later. Bye. He doesn't even say anything. And she says, I love you. And he's like, nope. He's just like, I gotta leave. Can't feel anything. It was another part of it is he can't feel either. Like a lack of emotion. Oh, it's absurd. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's clear that like he just can't bounce. Their relationship. Yeah, he's found a balance. Ooh, that monk pose makes a lot more sense though because oh, that he finds balance. Achieving then. balance. I like that. <laughs> I wonder if that works. So I think that he's having his addressing death, and this is for those that don't know. This is this is why I say that the whole story is Jungian. So Carl Jung was a psychologist in the early 1900s, late 1800s, something like that. Probably in the early early 1900s after Freud. A pupil of Freud's who analyzed stories and, and mythologies dreams. and re religious stories and definitely dreams and believed that there was a common structure in every individual psyche that exists in everyone else's psyche. 
and he called that the collective unconscious. So it's yes. this idea that everybody has an underlying unconscious way of thinking that exists across the whole species. And that's that collective unconscious ends up being expressed in our stories. And that's then, why you can find themes across thousands of years that and multiple sense. cultures that yes. are isolated from each other. So if you look at like Japanese mythology and you look at Norwegian what do you call it? Like that kind of like Thor versus like the yeah, Kami's in Japan. They have similar storylines in the same similar with the Greeks too, like all these different mythologies have very similar story structures and that that is actually a product of the structure of our minds now i don't think i don't know i won't say i don't think i just don't know if freud or excuse me if jung actually thought of it as a physical neurological structure that existed and how developed neurology so he has one of the basic structures there's these things called archetypes and though there are so I have to differentiate this because this has caused problems for me in conversations with my sister where I think people misunderstand what archetype means in this context so you think of an archetype as like a character in a story like the hero and this and whatever and though that's similar it also is more technical in the union the Joseph, common parlance by, of by archetypes the, well by now. the Joseph Campbellian yeah. Structure of archetypes. Who Joseph Campbell got pretty much all of his work from you. He basically took it all from Yeah. Him. But it has been pop-culturized from him to have a less nuanced structure. Yeah. So when I say archetype, I'm trying to be more technical than just the common thinking of it. It's more like an element of the human personality that has occurred across multiple millennium. Mm-hmm. that is distilled and then expressed in story. And it's not to say that you're only one archetype either. It's to say that... Okay, so every person would be all archetypes. Right, yeah. It's just which one manifests more in you. Which one's most prevalent. Yes. But in a story, since... Here's a way of thinking about it that I think works really well. Is one person is writing the story. Yes. So in the same way that dreams are had by one person, you don't actually dream about anybody you don't talk to your mother in a dream talk to your boyfriend and girlfriend you have like events that happen to you you're talking to yourself you're in the dream only use producing that these dreams and everyone in it is a product of the same psyche that's producing the you in that dream so what's happening a story is that each character is a portion of the individual who's creating the story it's an exploration of self. It's yeah. subpersonality. Exactly. <laughs> and the most complex minds that write stories are, it's just that each subpersonality is hyper developed. So they're so developed that they're 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 on paper, they're their own individual person. Huh. But they're all still the person that wrote it. It's not like he didn't write any of the other characters and he brought other people in to write those characters it's and he more just like, responded. It's not a dialogue between two different people. It's a dialogue within himself. And it's it's every time you write a story with these fragmented personalities, you're like living out, what if I was like this in real life? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. (laughs) So we'll take the information processing theory, which looks at your brain as a computer. So now this isn't technically the information processing theory, but it looks at it like input output. Right. Real straightforward. Really analytical. Now, if I'm going to take that to a metaphorical sense and break away from the proper theory, really, but you can look at your brain as a computer and what your computer is doing when it's going through these different personalities is it's running simulations. So when you're having a dream about talking with someone, it's running a simulation about how you think the symbol of the person that you're interacting with will interact with you yourself. We make mental representations. And when we're talking about relationships, it's called the internal working model. And that's the bond between two individuals that develops, but it's the internal representation of that bond. It's how you see your relationship. Yep. So you're working out your internal working model within your own psyche. And what is happening in a story is it's not just happening within your own mind. It's happening in a place where you can present (laughs) it to the world. That's a perfect segue into what happens in the final scenes of the movie. Right. So she, so what an archetype is, let me tie this end off is so what an archetype is the common sub personalities that are in your psyche that everybody else shares. They're this common ways of thinking. Maybe it's the part of yourself that you don't like, right? It's the dangerous, impulsive, aggressive. It's the id. It's the Freudian id or properly in the union context is the shadow. It's the part of you you don't want to really address. It's the part you hide and stamp down. It's the dangerous part. Yeah. But properly incorporated, Jung thinks, it can be used as the fuel in the right situation. Like gasoline and fire is dangerous, but it also lets you drive a car. Yes. So you have to know how to incorporate it and use it properly, but understand that it's dangerous. And you can't actually use it until you understand it. Mm -hmm. So that's like an idea of the shadow. So what she, the final scene is her, Lena, facing her shadow and the elements of her that's what going deep down is that's what going down is into the dark hole is the deepest darkest part of her psyche that she doesn't want to address it's dark because it's unknown mm-hmm. you can't see it exactly so you go there and it's weird inside there too oh like, it's super weird it's hyper refractory yeah like even more and it almost has a funhouse quality where when you it's like this chamber but when you look in every direction except the where you came from it feels like it goes on forever and everything is moving and yeah. And it's all slightly, it almost looks like gas and water with the rainbow glow in there. Yeah. Like there's like there's everything's oil. moving and oily and you can't pin it down really. Yeah. It's strange, but it it's just feels weird. It almost looks like a brain. Yeah, it did. It had like a structure. It looks like it was, random but purposeful at the same time like tubes it looks like it almost looks like you're inside of a brain which is i won't say purpose i don't know if it's intentional i would almost think that unless this is a very especially meta story which i don't know that would require not meaning that the story isn't exactly meta more like 
it's meta because the people that created it understood what they were. They're conscious of the things I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then put in a brain in order to be intentionally symbolic for being within her brain. Or it could be that they had an implicit connection within their own minds that then expressed itself in the artwork. That's hard to tell. Yeah, but that's a lot of layers to that one. I deal, I, I'll literally never know. We'll never know unless you're able to, <laughs> unless I'm able to talk to these people. So yeah. she's inside of the deepest part of her mind where she's sees where somebody else, what happens if somebody who isn't prepared goes. So the psychologist is there, is in the deepest part of. It wasn't she like looking at her from the opposite direction she was like transformed right. and the psychologist doesn't have any eyes yeah so she's blind to what's going on around her and she is rambling not really yeah i remember what she was saying she says that she names the title card she says it's all annihilation that she comes to a, oh, re- right. a realization of what it is that it's this for her it's annihilation eating growing heartless thing that moves forward consuming and it's a just consuming all and all is it's all annihilation mm-hmm. which i find which i didn't quite catch up on this until recently but the root word of annihilation is nihil as in nihilism huh i didn't even think about that so i almost wonder if the development of that word is like nihil has got to mean like nothing i don't know for sure but I'm, we can look at like a belief in like nihilism is a philosophy of meaninglessness yeah. it's that nothing matters basically nothing ever matters so life death murder suicide nothing matters like you could do the most beautiful you could be the most perfect person in the world doesn't matter you could be a saint doesn't matter you could even do good things because you're a saint and good is just relative so it doesn't actually matter so it's really depressing Very. philosophy but you get a sense of what annihilation is is it's this coming to nothingness yeah look up annihilation and see if it'll give you just root words because usually google is really good about tracking the development of the word like it'll give you like greek comes from this which is pretty cool he the psychologist says that it's annihilation that it's just nothingness which is probably her perspective on death right and cancer because she the psychologist has cancer and she, her grand realization at the end of it all is that this thing is going to consume and kill her and she just falls into nihilism. Which is yeah, fantastic <laughs> because, oh, language is so interesting because that's the fact that she falls into nihilism, it's not a coincidence that we call it nihilism and that she calls it annihilation because they're the same root words that they're coming from, which is that this meaningless destruction, this nothingness. So she sees that some people, when they go to the bottom of it, that the conclusion that they make when addressing their inevitable death, their mortality, is that it's all this just meaningless and that's the conclusion that the psychologist comes to there's the origin a little hard to to follow whoa i was right i fucking nailed it (laughs) oh dude nihil means nothing (laughs) destroying or bring to nothing 
reduced to utter ruin or non-existence. Which kind of makes sense because you can lose yourself and become nothing within the shimmer. It's a belief of nothingness. So she turned here. So what happens to her is that she. Oh my God. And then she literally becomes nothing. She becomes nothing. (laughs) She rips. She dissolves. She just ripped apart. And it's like pure energy just floating in an orb that is like something out of a dubstep. She just (laughs) disintegrates. She's no longer integrated. She is apart. She is in many pieces and becomes nothingness. Becomes just visually stunning, crazy, rotating ball of light thing. Really, I'm underselling this. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> you have to see the movie to, like, the full scope of what before you at this point in the movie. And when Lena stares into this thing. <laughs> when she stares into the nothingness, not only does it, in a Nietzschean sense, stare back. Ooh, but that's creepy. That's what he said. I know. <laughs> Friedrich Nietzsche said that when he stared into the abyss, he found that the abyss stared back into him, which is what happens to. And it then shows her her an element of herself that she doesn't want to face. It literally turns into a shadow being thing. It's like a mannequin made out of that weird liquidy brain substance. Almost, it's really it. It's fucking weird, but it's always reflecting rainbow a little. Yeah, which I think is playing back to that refractory idea again. And we're still underselling this, by the way, because through this whole time, it's a very tense and surreal. It's just weird. She first reacts defensively and aggressively. Defensively, aggressively attacks it. And it hits her back and knocks her the fuck out. It's like, since it's a shadow form of you too, it's technically stronger than you. It's, it's from, even from a psychological standpoint. In a psychological sense, you'd almost say it's more dangerous than you. Yeah. Like unbridled aggression is far more violent than you without any aggression. Which makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it's capable of more dangerous things. So knocks her out. Then she comes to... And it, it mimics everything she does. She tries to run away, and when she and then it runs with her and presses up against the door with her, so she can't get out. And she tries to fight it and tries to fight. It returns the pressure until she collapses, and then it collapses with her. So it mimics everything that she's doing, which is to reiterate that this is a thing that is herself. This is an element of her, and then. In facing it, she ends up no longer fighting it, and she's able to get away by facing it, holding its hand, which is like a sign of comfort, like coming to terms. I mean, it's exactly it's a tender mark <laughs> of acceptance that she displays to this thing. And visually, it does really important here. It turns into her. It looks exactly like her. As soon as they touch hands. As soon as she... As soon as she accepts it, it then becomes really her. And as she breaks the physical contact, it stops looking like... She hands it a... One of the grenades. One of the phosphorus grenades that she snags from a bag left over. Places it tenderly in the hand, pulls the pin, and bails the fuck out. And that motherfucker lights on fire. Yes. So she's burning off 
the part of herself that she didn't want to address. So it's a process of speaking psychologically. She goes to the place in her psyche she doesn't want to go to face the thing that she doesn't want to face and eventually accept it and then let it go. Yep. It's really deep. And I think that's the relation. The thing that she's letting go of the character is her guilt and shame and her overall relationship that's failed with her husband. Yeah. Shame, guilt, confusion about why it failed, how it failed, how she cheated on her husband, all this stuff. And this goes to the final scene, too, where they finally see each other after all of this. And it's like the first it's like the first time they actually looked at each other and just shared a moment together. Yeah. That wasn't loaded with one scene in the beginning that was a harken back to what the relationship was. Yeah, from made. the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, but it seemed more like a past memory now. Yeah, it's not present. Yeah. Like it was the first present moment of tenderness and caring. I wouldn't call it love per Yeah, se, and that's what's interesting is that it's like when she finally meets her husband again, who is not dying anymore, n- not the same man that died in the fire. Yeah, it's not the man that burnt himself off. So he, his journey is like a recognizing of his own fractured self, burning that off and becoming a new man entirely. And her story is facing the part that she can't let go of in the relationship, which is and then letting go of the relationship itself. And being okay with that. So when she, they address each other as new and, or changed people, they they don't like tenderly kiss romantic, let's ride off in the sunset. No. They embrace each other. She even says, you're not him. You're not the same guy. And he goes, no, I don't think I am. And I think on the surface, that comes off as creepy. Yeah, again, this is why you have to be really creative to... In, I don't want you know what I mean. Be thinking creatively when you're you, doing this. You have to you think of different layers to understand. You got to think symbolically yeah. because this isn't a literal movie exactly. So she they embrace each other, but it's like a tender. It almost feels like it's been a long time since I've seen you. It's like the first time of it's kind of like saying I see you, and in that moment, both of their eyes begin to shimmer. What the creature looked like. They get rainbow glows of shifting around their iris their iris it's really it it leaves you unsettled and all at the same time questioning what even happened at the (laughs) and that i think is showing that both of those characters are have internalized their experience and grown past who they were at the beginning of the story Absolutely. And that they've, and their embrace is a reflection of their coming to peace with where they are. It, it's almost like an allegory for divorce. Yeah. One giant allegory for the painful divorce where both people get why it happened. Plus two, they were the only two people to come out of it. Can you look up if, see if the author of the book was going through a divorce when he wrote it? I fucking mm-hmm. I bet that dude was had a bad relationship, go to shit, or went through a divorce or something like that. That this is a giant allegory for getting over a good but 
failed relationship that we could understand why it failed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a long distance relationship. Like maybe it was really good at first. And for a long time, you were trying to make it work. And then eventually it just fell apart. And it's just because you're 1600 miles away and you can't manage it. And it's not like it's anybody's fault. It's just, you just can't do it. According to Wikipedia, it says he actually married someone in 2003. When did he write the book? 2014. Came out. So he's been married. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he... Hmm. He does, I mean, he does say, though, when he was 20, he read Angela Carter's novel, novel The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr. Hoffman, which he said blew the back of my head off and rewired my brain. And such passion and boldness inspired everything going forward, it says. Huh. I wonder what that, I don't know anything. About I don't know anything about the book too, but I feel like it's. I could be wrong, but it would make sense to me. I don't know how you could write a story about the themes we're talking about without having gone through something. without referencing it in some way, without having been in a failed relationship mm-hmm. that's really intense, without having been in through a divorce, without having. Maybe it was a relationship where somebody cheated. I yeah. don't know. I don't know, man. It's interesting. Because you can't write about what you don't know. Definitely. Yeah. It would take some crazy looking into yourself to figure out. Even that, again, this is the same concept I was talking about earlier, that a book is just a reflection of your own psyche. There's, I think it was Nietzsche also, that said uh, the philosophy is the unconscious admission of the philosopher. Okay. That every philosopher is really saying more about themselves than they are the world. Everything else, everything winds up becoming an exploration of the self over. It's because, well, part of it's just to put it really simply is you're showing your perspective. Right. And your perspective is reliant on you. You can only talk about, you can only talk about with your own perspective with any degree of clarity slash. Because you can't actually take someone's perspective, literally. You can't literally take someone's perspective. You can't turn into them and view all the nuances and all. All the you can do is look at it from your own perspective. It's an interesting concept, and somebody can definitely build on more yeah. further. Well, you can't escape your own perception, is what it comes down That's to. That's interesting. So, with that, this movie has layers, and a lot of them. A fuckload of them. And Joe could probably be here for another three hours. Probably. Just Maybe I'd get tired. it's true but if you had two more time you'd be probably gonna i might go watch this again i don't know it it seems watch definitely easy to go watch again you know what i mean it's just so out there i'd be like huh i'd really like to be able to like go with people that have opinions on it so we could watch it and then talk about it again yeah i want to see if there's anyone else around and for all of you on Social media and things. Hit us up. You want to plug something? Yeah, do plug it. Go for what it. What do we got? Let's see. So you can go to bropod.net. I can give this. I can send this one so you can co-release it. We can co-release. We can co-release the last one too. You yeah, I can send it. that one too. You can put it up. You've got the login. Oh, I do have it. Probably co-release these. Bropod's got some old articles that I've written. Um, yeah. Since Joe's more into the psychology stuff, this really I've fits into his- changed a lot of my mind and some stuff that I wrote back then. But it's if you want to give an opinion, that's fine. I'm totally open to new perspectives. There's also the Bro Pod podcast, which is another example of things his mind has been changed and blah blah. But the podcast is up there if you like something similar to this. 
a little more laid back, and there's a lot more just joking podcasts where we're just fucking around. Yeah, more open-ended discussion types. Definitely. So you can check that out. If, let's see, so my Twitter, you can follow me if you want. I don't think it's public right now. I don't mind. I'll probably, I don't think there's anyone I've denied from a follow. And personally, I think, is if you already have your name on there, you don't really have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Joe Jukowski, J-A-C-K-O-W-S-K-I. That's my Twitter handle. And that's pretty much it. That's really the only social media I'm really on. Yep. And if you follow any of my stuff, I'm Eric Wenzel, E-R-I-C-H-W-E-N-Z-E-L, both on Twitter. And that is my website. So if you just type in Eric Wenzel, it'll probably come up anywhere across there and everything's linked left right and sideways you'll find it i believe in you people i believe <laughs> believe in power of the internet and with that everybody this was fun we'll probably do something similar to these going forward i'm so down to analyze movie podcasts if you guys are interested in like film analysis if you're interested in story stuff story analysis there's a relatively new youtube channel called screen prism that is fucking great. Like, I can't... Shameless plug. Dude, it's... I wish I was involved with these people. They're fucking genius. I'll look them up. I'll put a link in the show notes. They're really for fucking good. Um, they're... I wonder if they don't have a union thing going on. Really? Like, did they have some... Or, or at least they've definitely read... They had to have read Joseph Campbell. It wouldn't surprise me because Joseph Campbell seems to be pretty and prevalent right more now. prevalent in that sphere. So, it's great. Check it out. Totally recommend it. Go watch the movie, too. And definitely watch the movie. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. And I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feeding curiosity slash support or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, if you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all of that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening, and I hope you join in on the next episode.